This podcast is part of a series explaining how various regulatory agencies in the United States address minimum product and appliance energy efficiency standards. Hello, and thanks for listening. I'm Justin Wiley with the Pull and Hot Tub Alliance, and I'm here speaking with Alex Bosenberg, Director of Regulatory Affairs for the National Electrical Manufacturers Association, about minimum energy efficiency performance standards affecting NEMA member products in North America. As of this recording, Alex has been with NEMA for 14 years, 12 of those in government relations working on these and similar areas. Hello, Alex, and uh, what are we talking about today? Well, today uh, I thought we'd discuss how the U.S. Congress periodically sets energy efficiency regulations for NEMA products and how NEMA engages in those situations. Past modules, you talked about DOE rulemakings. What is different about creating energy efficiency regulation through Congress? Well, that's a good question. Um, Fundamentally, DOE follows one or more pretty well-established processes. Those processes are enshrined in statute. That's the, you know, the laws of our country, but Congress is the Mm -hmm. body that makes our laws. So their process is much more fluid and much more flexible because they can, they can change the law, change the rules. Indeed, but uh, perhaps you can explain a little bit how they can do that. Well, sure. For one example, DOE is prevented by law from changing or setting a product standard that makes it lower than current standards for any product that's regulated. So it's uh, it's called anti-backsliding. So Mm. if today a product can't pass the regulation or meet the standard, DOE can't do something that tomorrow lets it pass. And uh, Congress set the anti-backsliding law. But Congress can pass a law that lessens or exempts a product from standards because they decide what's acceptable. They make the law. Mm. That's interesting. So how often does Congress set energy efficiency laws? Not very often. Um, Passing legislation takes a lot of time and other topics usually get, you know, more attention than something like this. But to answer your question, aside from some single product focused actions in lawmaking, Congress has uh, passed broad energy legislation six times since 1975. You mentioned 1975. What makes it so special? Well, 1975 was the first iteration of the Energy Policy and Conservation Act, or EPCA, Uh, and when that was passed, it set things moving in terms of uh, unified national energy efficiency efforts. I mean, anyone alive in the mid-70s can remember the energy crisis, gasoline shortages, cars waiting in line for gas pumps, and that's when uh, the rise in national concern about energy efficiency came about, and they passed EPCA. Interesting. Sounds a lot like today. So <laughs> where, uh, where, where are NEMA products included in the 1975 EPCA law? Well, we weren't mentioned by name, but by creating the U.S. Department of Energy and establishing goals for industrial energy efficiency, Congress paved a clear path to regulate electric motors and other industrial equipment. And EPCA 1975 also gave the DOE authority to regulate any product the department determines to involve significant amounts of energy. Hmm. So what's an example of a revision to EPCA that NEMA products were involved in? Well, a good example would be the Energy Efficient, uh, Energy Independence and Security Act of 2007, or ESA 2007. It not only involved NEMA products, but NEMA helped negotiate its contents and its applicability to our products. So what products were those? Um, would a member of the public recognize them? Yes. All you have to do is look up. General service lamps uh, were the subject of bold action in ESA 2007. The the general service lamp, or GSL, is the formal term for common light bulbs. We had uh, 
better light bulb designs available, but consumers were still using the old and expensive uh, incandescent. And while that's understandable, it also shows uh, a lack of concern or understanding about energy efficiency and cost payback that you can gain from more energy efficient product. Mm, so what did AISA 2007 do to light bulbs? I'm sorry, I mean lamps. Well, in 2007, high-efficiency lamps were not common. Um, Light-emitting diode lamps didn't even exist outside of research labs, but uh, the most common type was the good old Edison lamp, uh, the kind with a glowing metal filament. Uh, This technology is over 100 years old, and despite improvements, it hadn't innovated much in that time. Wow, so I'm sort of shocked here. LED light bulbs didn't exist in 2007. I mean, it's like they're everywhere now. They did not. Um, they are well on their way now to becoming the dominant light source globally. And NEMA, NEMA figures show about 75% of the market is now LED. Hmm. So you said 2007 created LED lamps? No, not at all. Um, our members weren't even sure they would be able to make LEDs efficient or affordable for consumer light bulbs. But uh, we believed we could. So we they sort of doubled down and, and put forth legislation that basically forced them to do it. Mm. So uh, I guess what did AISA do then? Well, it did several things for light bulbs. I mean, first, it set a minimum energy efficiency level for lamps high enough that only incandescent halogen with a halogen capsule inside them or compact mm-hmm. fluorescent lamps could meet standards. And then it started a multi-year phase-out of traditional Edison lamps like the 150-watt, 100-watt, and 60-watt. Uh, but it exempted some niche products uh, that have low demand or physical challenge that LEDs aren't suited for. Um, and then also, and just as important, the Act established incentive programs for research and development to spur innovation into more efficient uh, lighting design, specifically helped us fund LED options. So I like that we kind of went down that rabbit hole, but let's let's come back to the legislative process. Sure. I can talk for hours about light bulbs since uh, <laughs> I've been doing lighting at NEMA since 2007. You mentioned uh, EPCA and its subsequent updates. You also mentioned individual focus provisions passed by Congress. Uh, what's an example of one of these individual actions? Well, uh, after DOE um, passed standards for external power supplies in 2011, we learned Mm -hmm. that DOE had decided at the very end of the process that light-emitting diode lamp drivers, kind of like a ballast for a fluorescent lamp that goes up in the fixture, uh, were considered external power supplies. Um, Probably because they're modular, but the rulemaking didn't evaluate them specifically. Mm, So why was this a problem then? Well, yeah, as I said, they they looked at things like wall pack power supplies like phone chargers or laptop chargers, um, things that go into a receptacle, you know, the classic phrases, wall warts. Um, LED drivers are part of hardwired light fixtures. um, And more importantly, test procedures and their usage conditions are very different. They they can't be correctly tested and represented using external power supply test procedures. So what's the name angle here then? Well, yeah, so what about Congress? So we spent years telling DOE that the external power supply standards could not and should not apply to LEDs. And when they said at the very – in the final rule, yeah, you know what, we think it's fine, we had to pursue legislation. Um, so then we campaigned uh, through the halls of Congress and were able to get a provision – passed to let LED drivers be exempted from EPS requirements. Hmm. How long did this take? It was about three or four years. 
years? Yeah, that's why we try so hard to be engaged <laughs> in the rulemaking process itself. Because um, and you know some of those faster ways like uh, reg negs or DFRs because uh, legislation can be just as bad as a rulemaking. Interesting. You know that again was a lot of detail. Can you also provide training on this uh, and other topics if a NEMA section or member company wants to hear more? Absolutely, I'm happy to. Um, I usually attend section meetings when they have products that are in scope of DOE or other agency regulations, so I can make sure to update them there. Uh, and then I respond to email and telephone every day about uh, regulatory questions. But if a section would like me to get a specific brief on one of these topics or just in general, I'm happy to do that. Hmm. So this is another great fact-packed podcast. Uh, what's the next one about? Well, we're going to talk about the Department of Energy's Certification Compliance and Enforcement Process, or CCE. Interesting. Well, we look forward to that. And on behalf of myself and those listening, we thank you for talking about the DOE and its Energy Conservation Standards Program. You're very welcome. <laughs>